0: Sales Stories, Raw and Real, is a podcast series designed to help people in business development, whatever their level, by learning from the experiences of others. We'll be talking about the salespeople they've met, led, and worked with, and share their insights into what we need to do more of and less of. You'll hear the very best and worst of people's experiences to help you recognize the traps that we've all fallen into, get through them, and out the other side, having learned what you needed to along the way. Thanks for joining me today, Sam. I'd just like to introduce you to all the people listening out there. Today's podcast is my very first one. My very first guest is Sam Turnbull. Sam's been delivering infrastructure projects across New South Wales for the last 30 years. Think Lane Cove Tunnel... The M2 motorway, the Hume Highway, just to mention a couple. He spent billions of dollars with a large-scale infrastructure projects and spent hundreds of millions of dollars on contractors and suppliers. He's worked with Abbey Group, Tenix, and Fulton Hagen, just to name a few. More recently, he joined forces with Glenn O'Brien at Topco both experienced and successful project managers in the civil market. It'd be safe to say that Sam's seen the good, the bad and the ugly when it's come to spending money on building projects. Thanks for joining us, Sam.
1: Thanks, Charlie. So, pleasure to be here.
0: Cool, cool. Where are you today?
1: Uh, with the COVID-19 uh, running rampant, I'm actually isolated in my office because everyone else in my office is at home, so I've taken the Sorry. opportunity to be the only one here.
0: Right. <laughs> it's a lot of space there for you to uh, get rid of one of the germs you think you might need to do, mate. So that's I'm pleased I for everybody of, else.
1: I have plenty of, okay. plenty of space.
0: I'm pleased for you, Sam. I wanted to to ask you just a couple of questions about your experience in in delivering these large projects, and just ask you to think, I guess, what what's What's been some of the best work that you've done, uh, perhaps, you know, before you, uh, you started Topco, just, just for the audience to share, to share with the audience, what, what makes a good project?
1: Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Look, uh, in a previous life, I guess I worked for a large civil engineering contractor, and we did a lot of earthworks, uh, a lot of heavy engineering projects, such as uh, highways, bridges, dams, that sort of thing. Um, and some of the, the, the large projects had large teams. Um, you know, we're talking about probably 50-plus sort of engineers, personnel, administrators, all on site, and and then you've got the entire wages workforce, uh, which could have been up to 300 people, and then, you know, there would be almost double that with the specialist subcontractors Um involved in a project like that of that size so um yeah they're very large teams and yeah um, getting everyone to work in the same direction is I guess the key and the challenge as a project manager or a project director uh because you can't do everything yourself so uh yeah my recollections of some of those larger projects and the ones that were really successful uh I think first and foremost, uh, they made money. Uh, they were so they were under budget, and they were uh, done in time. So they were done before the program had run out. We had a happy client, and we would generally have a very happy uh, project team and wages workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so when all those things are they're the end goals. When all those things sort of happen, you know that that's what I'd call a successful project. Um, is that probably what you're looking at, Charlie? In
0: terms I, th- I think so. I mean, um, in terms of a, a large project, call it, you know, a billion dollars to pull a number out of the air, H- how, much of, how much of your your spend would go on um, labour versus materials? Do you have uh, a, a yeah, group on that?
1: generally, Charlie, like when we break these things down into estimates and then also our cost reviews, We'll break them down into uh, labour, materials, uh, subcontractors uh, and plant. And in that materials and subcontractors, depending on the type of job, uh, yeah. um, you know, it, it could be, you know, probably 30% that that could be spent in that space. So, you know, a third of the job in that materials and subcontractors. Mm-hmm. Now, it's going to vary. Um You know, when I worked for Abbey Group, we liked to self-perform a lot of our own work. So we would hire a lot of our own uh, or engage a lot of our own wages workforce, so we directly employed them. Um, So that sort of cut down the number of subcontractors that we had, obviously. Um, And the plant numbers would come down too because the plant was all owned, uh, albeit internally, within the plant department of Abbey Group. So, you know, that company and that model uh, worked really well for those projects. We were able to deliver projects uh, quickly uh, because we had the people and the plant that operated on the critical path of a project. But in all of those projects, the materials and suppliers would make up a massive part and their, their key to our success was what, make, what made or you know, broke a job. And, and what I mean is a lot of the times the materials that you're bringing in are on the critical path because they have to be manufactured somewhere else and they have to be delivered to site. And we're talking about some fairly large items of uh, materials such as, you know, super tees, uh, pre-stressed uh, concrete girders that might weigh up to 40 ton. Oh, sorry, 80 tonnes, be 40 metres long, uh, you know, and they all got to be made off-site and they've got to be installed on-site. So um, a lot of coordination but a lot of upfront work and before you make those decisions on those really crucial items, which you're doing almost in the first month of the job, but they won't actually be landed until, you know, probably 75% of the way through the job, there's some pretty crucial decisions made in those early, early days. And uh, that's when you're going out to the market. Obviously, you're going to the people that helped you win the tender. Uh, so you're probably looking through your quotes file, where your estimators have probably got, you know, three quotes if they can uh, of various suppliers. You'll go to them. You'll also use your extensive network um, of people that you already know in the industry, but also then you'll go locally, uh, have a look around because the work that we did was quite itinerant. It'd be, you know, as you say, down the Pume Highway or up the Pacific Highway. You'd go into those areas and you'd suss out, you know, what the capability was in that area before you sort of, said, yeah, I'm going to go to Melbourne or I'm going to go to Brisbane or something, for example, to to get the materials because the transport is is a massive cost for these really large items. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you, you're you relying on yeah expertise for these uh, suppliers you know, in a lot of cases and giving you the best rate. And I think, you know, when I wrote down some notes here before about what makes a good supplier to me, like when I go out to procure materials, It's probably someone that's got a great deal of empathy for what we're trying to achieve. Um, And I mean...
0: What do you mean by that? They
1: understand, they've got to have some knowledge of what it is we're trying to do. Um, They've got to understand the challenges we have on site. Now that's as much the job of the the project engineer or the project manager on site, Uh, but it helps when you've got a supplier who understands all of that.
0: so how you know, does how does a supply get that Sam?
1: Well, I think you know you can't you can't buy experience. You you just got to have experience, and, and experience comes through you know knowledge comes through asking questions. It comes through getting your hands dirty. Uh, it it and and listening to people who have who have come before. And that's not necessarily saying you do it the same way they did it. It just means listening to, you know, what has worked in the past and what hasn't worked in the past. And uh, yeah, I think that that that's what makes a, a, a great supplier is is one that, you know, you you if you've got some guy it's his first job, you're probably going to be a little bit wary about, you know, what what they're going to bring to the project. Whereas someone with a load of experience, um, you, you're going well, this is great. I'm I'm now getting the benefit of all those years of experience so once again it's not the be all and end all it's just one of the things that you look for uh when you're looking for a supplier and then makes and it makes them successful
0: yeah
1: um, you know i don't i don't know how you get that in a quick way other than you just got to have experience
0: yeah I, it's interesting i was having a conversation earlier this week with a a fellow that uh, that works in in large-scale projects and he said that trust is built in the trenches and uh, I think that goes a long way to, to support what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, and Yeah, it's that trust. And you only get that trust if you actually meet these people.
0: <laughs> and yeah. it's all
1: about people at the end of the day. Like you're, you're picking up the phone, you're talking to someone, you've never met them before, you start a conversation, you explain what it is. If they engage with you and start asking questions about your project, you know, where it is, and then, Probably by the end of that, they start to say, "Well, I'll come and see you. I'll, I'll, I'll come to where you are, and, and let's, you know, I want to understand what it is that I'm that I'm pricing." And as you mentioned at the start, these are, you know, in those days, tens of millions of dollars worth of contracts that you're letting. You're not you're not buying a packet of screws, um, so you need you need the person that you're going to give this contract to. Um, you you need to give them the opportunity to come and learn all about your job. Mm. Uh, So, you know, having some time to price it, there's nothing worse than, you know, I I know uh, being on the other end of the stick as well is that if someone rings up and says, oh, I want a price and I I want it tomorrow, you think, well, you're not going to get a really good price here and you're not going to get a really comprehensive offer because you haven't given me the time. Um, And it's the same with suppliers. I think the people have got to give them the right scope, they've got to give them the right time, and whilst I give them a lot of information, it's up to the supplier to also, you know, probe away and ask questions, you know. I don't mean be annoying, but I mean it's if, you, if you've got to ask the right if you can ask questions, ask the right questions and yeah. you'll probably ask those if you come to site and, uh, yeah, meet with a person so you get that personal relationship but also come to site and just see what the restrictions are, uh, understand the environment, Um and understand the commercial uh, situation that 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 uh, contractor might be in. There's a whole heap of things there, and a supplier has just got to, you know, gather all that information together if they want to put a really good offer on the table to to a client.
0: Yeah, I love. Um, there's a guy called Zig Ziglar. He's an American, and he says that people buy of people they like, know, and trust. And uh, and I don't think that um, if, you, if you get a transaction very quickly, uh, you go straight to trust. I, I think there's an awfully big price to pay because you don't like, you don't necessarily know whether you like the person and you certainly don't know if they know enough about the, your project to deliver exactly what you need to be delivered. Mm. So um, it's oh, an I, interesting... I agree
1: totally. It's, some of the best... I use the word salespeople lightly because you know these are people that are run their own businesses as well, but they're they selling themselves and they're selling their products. Um, you know, like they have to have that they have to have that personal relationship. And I think that's where the like bit comes in. That the, mm. the best jobs have been where you've got a guy that you can talk to, and a guy I use that in a non-gender specific way, you know, person that you, you can talk to. You're going to ask them questions as a person at the other end who's buying this product, um, and, you know, they like you enough to give you, give you an answer. It's not like you're going to go and set up in opposition to them, that you, you're, the, you're their customer. And, you know, if they give you um, the information you're after, uh, being a engineer and a project manager at the other end of the, um, you know, at the other end of this, um, you know, I'm more than likely to go and, you, you buy their product or use them, you know, just because mm. you know they've built up trust, and and I do like them, so I, I agree totally. It's
0: yeah.
1: it, it's about the person.
0: And and Sam, so, how, so how, how is it that you like to to be sold to? If you if, if you um if you haven't heard from somebody before, the reason I ask you is I was in a training program this morning and I was asked this question, and I don't think there's a definitive answer in in my view. But uh, the question was, um, you know, should, should someone send an email or should they, should they get on the phone and call first? What, what's your preferred way to, to be approached by a prospective supplier or, or subcontractor?
1: Look, I'm I, I probably a little bit old school and uh, I respect the fact that, you know, everyone's out there trying to make a living. So uh, if someone rings me or someone sends me an email or I get a brochure shoved under the door, I'll always try to respond and call them back or send an email back or get in contact or pass that information on because we're all just trying to make a living out here. Um, how do I like to – it's no one medium or another. It, again, it comes back to how that person and their behaviours and their and their manner, how they speak to you, how they engage with you. So I don't mind a phone call. I don't mind an email. But what I do uh, – prefer is that if I'm asking them a question, I get a response. And, it, and it's about responsiveness. I think if there was one key word that I'd say to all people that want to engage with me is just be responsive. You know, even if you come back and say, hey, mate, I can't get you that price uh, until next week on, you know, next Wednesday, I accept that. But if I hear nothing, I, I just feel like I'm being ignored and, um, or I don't understand that person's workload. But if they ring up and just say, hey, look, I'm snowed under, I can't give you a price. Now, I've had plenty of guys that have done that and I respect that. doesn't mean I don't use them ever again. It just means that I'm not going to get something out of them until the following week or, you know, they put their hand up and said, I can't give you a price. So responsiveness, be it via a phone call, be it via an email, whatever, is totally fine by me, but you have to respond. There's nothing worse than me saying... Sending out, you know, phone calls, leaving messages, sending emails and just getting nothing back. You just think, okay, well, they've just chosen to ignore me. So uh, I'll, I'll go to someone that does want to respond and actually does want to do this work because, I mean, I don't, I guess as a, if you're one on the project, this probably goes into a different direction here, Charlie, but when you're on the project, you've won the job and every interaction you're having is pretty fair income because you're going to award it. I get the other side of it where you've got a lot of people out there who tender and estimate and they're asking for prices on things um, and, you know, there may not be a job. So someone's not going to put in a huge amount of effort into a price if it could be to one tenderer in 10 that may win a job, you know. Um, so I think it's up to the supplier sometimes, and I do this with, with clients from where subcontracting work, is to say, I'll just ask you up front: Have you guys got the job, or you're tendering the job? Because it gives me an understanding of how quickly they want an answer. You know what level of detail they want to go into. Um, you know, and sometimes people just want a ballpark. They just want to know: Is this is this widget or whatever I'm going to uh, buy? Is this is this going to cost ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars? You know, just just want some sort of idea. And and that's where that. Uh, empathy comes in where the uh, friendship, personal friendship with someone, if you can pick up the phone and say, hey, mate, how much are these things? And they just tell you, hang on a sec, you know, and they give you a number, you go, great, fantastic. That's all I need to know. Um, So understanding where the client's coming from is, is again, a big part of procurement.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I I spend quite a bit of time... Uh, talking to to people who are trying to to sell certain products at different stages of the building process, mm. and uh, I um and I, um my 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 advice is to try and to try and time it around when your product is going to be needed, because um and, and that's where I think your 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 situation of needing an answer or, or people being responsive to your inquiry is really hot to trot because. Um, they may have been. They may have approached you six or eight weeks beforehand during tender process, and you haven't been awarded the project until three days ago. And now it's hot to trot. So you need people to respond to you in terms of because you, because of lead time, because of availability, yeah. or whatever the case is.
1: I, I had someone ring up in a panic uh, last week saying, oh, "I need this price by Friday," and I said, "Yeah, fine. Send it through. We'll have a look at it." Well, we got it. And just went, oh, here we go. You know, like they need this in three days. But then I looked up my files. We priced it two years ago. It was yeah. back in 2018 that we priced this job. So, so it's sort of there's a couple of things out of that. One it's just really funny that you know uh, someone would expect me to drop everything and give me a price in the in you know five minutes. But then also just how two years have passed since this was urgent. <laughs> um, But at the end of it, it was easy to give them a price because all we did was went back to our old price, reviewed it, redated it and sent it through sort of thing. So, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't a problem. But, you know, again, you know, it's the people at the other end, if they've got experience, they'll know how to ask, hey, sorry about sending this through to you at the last minute. Um, I really need a price versus oh, I need you to price this urgently and then sort of almost hang up the phone. You sort of,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. It's just people with empathy um, probably get more of my attention than, than people that don't.
0: It's uh, a few years ago, I, I had the opportunity to work for a building company and uh, I was only there for a couple of years, but I, I, I had the option to go to another organisation and I just knew that that working for a building company for a period of time would serve me because i have been trying to, uh, sell to those sorts of organisations for twenty odd years at that time. Mm-hmm. So to get to to have a look at it from the other side is 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 really quite enlightening. So I, I guess you know when I was thinking about coming to this podcast, and I just I wrote down a question: How how have you transitioned from from project delivery and procurement? And I know I'm simplifying what you did prior to Topco. Your life at Topco. So how have you, how have you uh, transitioned from that delivery and procurement to building, to, to doing more business development and contracting yourself?
1: Yeah, oh, look, that was probably the steepest learning curve. When we left a big corporate organisation, that I'm talking about we as in Glenn and I left uh, 10X and left the corporate world behind. So, you know, prior to that, Abbey Group and then, then 10X. Um, you know, we were a subcontractor. We were very small, you know, we were out on our own. We had a bit of plant. We had four blokes, and those four blokes included Glenn and I, so we had two other guys working with us. Um, and the transition was was rapid. And, uh, you know, we loved it, we, you know, being from the country, uh, getting our hands dirty, getting back on the machines. Uh, it was actually liberating to get out of the office and actually do something and build something. Um, but... After, after a couple of months, we sort of realised that we were trying to be a subcontractor with this corporate mentality <laughs> um, and we had to think like a subcontractor. You know, we were providing a service to someone else. We weren't, you know, the masters of the universe of these big, you know, tier one uh, contracting businesses, you know. Uh, we were providing a service to someone else. And I'd say it took a good 12 months for that to evolve. I mean, we knew it but our behaviours had to change. Um, We we had to be more responsive. Um, We had to, I guess, um, you know, go and visit other people. You know, we were used to, say, organising meetings and having them in our office. You know, all of a sudden we were organising meetings and coming to their office and hoping they would see us. Um, You know, and we saw you know, design consultants. who, You know, we used to beat up on when we were <laughs> the large contractors. Here we were saying, "Oh, can you please, if anyone rings about work, can you, you know, send them our way, sort of thing." And you know, so all that business development was a lot of, a lot of uh, old-fashioned pounding the streets, um, face-to-face meetings. And I still reckon that was the best way to do it. I mean, I've well, I've got guys in my business now. Um, that, that, you know, we give the opportunity to say, right, I'll do some business development. And they think that means sending out a heap of emails uh, and, and referring people to websites. It's sort of like, no, you if you really want these jobs, you, you've got to go and meet these people and go and speak to them. Um, you know, so it, it took a while for us to change. As I say, back when we jumped out of corporate world and jumped into being uh, running our own business. And even now, you know, eight years on, uh, we've got, probably, you know, 140 uh, employees. Um, most of those are wages guys in the field. Uh, but we've probably got an office here of probably 25 people. Um, and, and seeing them, you know, trying to do that business development, it, it, it's a constant reminder. It's like, yeah, we can run jobs where we're the principal contractor, but then we can run jobs where we're the subcontractor. Our, our business, you know, without going into too much detail, is a mixture of us being head contractor and subcontractor, um, and you've got to change between the two because one minute you're asking other people for prices to to run jobs, other minute you are you are the supplier, you are the subcontractor providing a service. So you know you've you've got to be able to straddle that, and you've got to once again have empathy with who it is you're dealing with because you've got to understand where they're coming from uh, in all of this.
0: My experience, um. With a lot of um, project managers over the years, has um, has been a lot of the good ones are, are very good at managing relationships. And um, I'd be interested in your your uh, ideas around the relationships that that you've been able to manage and maintain as you've jumped the fence, so to speak, and also the ones that um that um, have helped you um in yeah. your. More recently,
1: yeah. So, you know, I think you're spot on. I mean, project managers. It's it's a funny one when you run these big uh, projects with lots and lots of people. Uh, people have their individual skills and their individual characters. A, a really good PM is able to, you know, it's all, it's cliche, but you're putting them all together and pointing them in the right direction. Because at the end of the day, as I used to always think. I could physically go and drive a truck. I can physically go and operate a digger. You know, I can physically go and dig that hole, but I can't be everywhere at once. So what I'm asking everyone to do is to coordinate all these people so that we get some productivity. Um, And to do that, each one of those people who are doing those things, they're not the same person. They're They're all not robots. They're all different people with different uh, personality. So you are coordinating all these personalities and they never teach you that at university. <laughs> you might know the bending moment of a pile six metres down under a bridge, but they don't tell you that you need to speak to Mick, whose wife just left him and he's got five kids and he's just discovered he's got cancer and he's trying to operate the scraper, uh, which the foreman's yelling at him because he hasn't gotten enough pushes per hour or whatever, you know, and you just sort of think there's so much going on here. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: Um, And it is about managing that relationship. And that's your own workforce, but then, you know, part of that project is the people off-site that you're trying to deal with and trying to get them to deliver goods to the site, you know, right quality at the right time at the right price. Um, And because they're not in your, you know, on, on, on site every day and you don't see them every day, it's important that you tap into them and you ring them up you see how they're going. You don't sort of set and forget. You, you you maintain that relationship. Now, it's probably the same at the other end is that salesperson you've you've done the deal with. They, they're not physically putting the stuff together, be it a concrete beam or you know uh, fabricating steel. They're, they're then trying to get their message across to their people in their factory to make sure that it's made in accordance with what you know someone wants uh, out on site. So you're constantly talking, you're constantly checking. And I think the best relationships are when people maintain communication. I keep saying it to my guys, especially in these times where we're all isolated and we probably only uh, occasionally see each other in the morning on a phone, uh, Zoom hookup or something. Uh, Unlike the office where you bump into each other and you talk. Uh, you've got to go out of your way to pick up the phone and, and or send an email if they're not picking up and say, hey, you know, is everything all right? You know, can I come and see you or can I give you a call later? You've got to keep that going all through the project if you want the thing to uh, succeed. No no point getting to the end of the job going, oh, yeah, I told that bloke six months ago he had to deliver six beams on this date. I wonder if he's done it. <laughs> I wonder if it's going to come tomorrow. Of course you don't, you know. You're on the phone constantly, you know, and
0: I think... It's interesting. I, I think that, um, you know, I read a quote some years ago by the Carnegie Institute, and it says that, that only 15% of your... Uh, oh, sorry, 85% of your success comes from your ability to negotiate, communicate, influence and lead. 15% comes from your technical ability. And and yeah. I really I really do think that... You know, um, you know, project managers and 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 my sales teams over the years have, have butted have butted a few heads, but it's only because they're exactly the same sort of person. They're all just trying to influence, mm. um, influence a decision, influence an action towards a, a, a productive outcome for all.
1: Yeah. Oh, look, I've heard, I've heard that sort of you know that that uh, Carnegie stat before, and it it's true. But what I also think is don't think that that technical ability is wasted because as much as to get the empathy and to be able to communicate with the people that you're dealing with, you have to have some technical ability. I think that's really important with, um, you know, subcontractors and suppliers is at the other end as the client, I'm relying on them having a heap more technical ability than I do in that specialised field. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that, so that, technical ability, they can talk to me and I can understand it because I've just got that little bit of, you know, like civil engineers, you know, they're, they're jack of all trades, master and none, you know, as opposed to, say, an electrical engineer who specialises in one area. Uh, but I do think they make the best coordinators because they do have this empathy right across the board of of a whole heap of technical issues. Um, yeah, right. so, they, so they use that, that that dead 15% to, you know, really boost their ability to communicate with uh, a whole range of people
0: yeah. yeah have you um have you got any any experiences Sam where you've had a project um, that hasn't gone so well
1: uh, look I can think of some in my 10x days because I wandered into that place and there were contracts that were already, yeah, in trouble. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we had to do was go and speak to the client and pretty much apologise for what a mess it was in. (laughs) And what I found by going all around the country and going and visiting everyone from, you know, Melbourne Water to Mackay Council um, and uh, Country Energy and all these people... I felt like I was apologising to everyone when I arrived because it was just having to sort out uh, projects that the client wasn't happy. I mean, that, that's the fact. The client wasn't happy. Uh, we, as the the company that was supposed to build these things, was losing massive amounts of money. And I couldn't help but think, and that was probably what instigated me to actually go out on my own, was we've got a whole heap of people that really want to do the right thing and build these things. They've got great technical ability, um, and I liken it to people that have grown up in, you know, the Electricity Commission, for example. They wanted to, they wanted to get the lights on, they wanted to get the power on, and, and, you know, that's what they were really good at. But when it came down to uh, doing it on time and doing it for a budget, they were all at sea. They just didn't have any ideas. So they had all this great technical ability, but they didn't have any of the ability to run a contract, make money, and to do it on time. And if you do that, well, then you, you keep your client happy. So mm-hmm. they were technically getting the job done, but everyone else was very upset and not getting the outcomes that they wanted. So, um,
0: so it, it sounds experience kind Experience of
1: bad jobs. It's just, yeah, um, yeah, if you you you've got to manage a whole... heap, There's no one key ingredient to a... A good job. You've got to manage a whole heap of stuff.
0: It kind of sounds to me like that experience. It, it sounds like you had the no right? As in, everyone knew what the outcome was. Everyone knew what they had to do, but there wasn't a lot of like and know. Sorry, like and trust there. So uh, delivery fell apart, and then uh, everything falls apart after after yeah, a and then, doesn't.
1: And, you know, not communicating. Mm. You know, like uh, it, it, you know, a lot of these projects that uh, I sort of went and tried to investigate what, what what went on, you know, it was a complete surprise to the client that these things were behind and uh, that the, the contractor was in such a big hole. Um, you know, I just thought, well, you know, if, if these issues were identified really early in the project uh, and they worked their way together to get the job done, and to get it done for the right price, because I don't know a lot of clients. Probably there is some, but a lot of clients they don't want to see the contractor uh, lose money. They, they are happy when their contractor has done the job. They're happy and they move on to the next one. You know, so it's in everyone's interest to uh, yeah get a successful outcome, be it the client or, or be it the contractor. So yeah. Uh, I think identifying that early on and and communicating with each other and and that could have resolved a lot of these things.
0: Mm. Sam, I've taken up enough of your time today. Thank you very much. I know how I know how busy you are, mm. and I uh, just perhaps perhaps thought I might ask you to to finish with uh, to to give to give some some practical tips to people who might be trying to sell to organisations like yours or others in the building materials game? What were what the top three things that you suggest they, they do?
1: Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Charlie, for giving me the opportunity um, to have a bit of a chat with you today. Um, yeah, I think how how I would like to be treated by a supplier is one top of that list, and I wrote it down here before, is responsiveness. You know, uh, always be responsive. Uh, have empathy with who it is you're dealing with and the situation they're in. Um, and probably the last one is that personal touch. You know, the, the guys that I still keep up with who are uh, in the game and are still out there working for suppliers and fabricators um, and subcontractors are the guys that would pick up the phone and give me a call any time and say, hey, how are you going? They, did, they weren't even looking to sell me anything. They were just coming for a chat. And in my situation, I was really happy for that because I'd pick their brain as well and say, "Hey, who, who won that job? Who's who's working over there? And oh, what's that guy doing now?" And so it's that probably comes back to that like and trust thing. So you know, having a having a personal relationship with uh, the customer, I, I think goes so far. It, it's it's up there in that top three with the responsiveness and the empathy.
0: That's right. Thank you very much, Sam. I've taken a lot of that out of today's discussion and, and, and particularly, uh, particularly the relationship that you finished on. So um, really appreciate your time and, uh, and good luck in the next couple of projects that you work on delivering. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, be sure to subscribe in your podcaster so you don't miss a future episode. And whilst you're there, I'd really appreciate if you could take the time to rate and review the podcast. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Charlie.